Good morning. Uh, good singing, y'all. It's really encouraging to hear you worship the Lord Jesus Christ like that, especially in light of today's subject matter, which is the Antichrist. And as we think about the Antichrist, I don't want our attention all on the Antichrist, but uh, as does the Holy Spirit, I believe our attention ought to be on Christ. It's been a great week for us as a church, the Resolute, grateful for um, everything that I heard, if you were not a part of our Resolute Conference, there are messages I would encourage you to download and listen to, and I think that you'll be definitely blessed and invested in. I also, um, this morning, this is a day that marks 50 years, 50 years since Roe v. Wade, and uh, who, who would have thought we'd be where we are? Grateful that we are in a place we are as a nation I'm sure in 1973, Christians might have thought, what's going on? And then last year, we are grateful for some decisions that were made, but boy, there's a lot of work that's left to be done. We have partners, and one partner, mission partners, um, when it comes to caring for um, the unborn and even children that don't have a home. But one of our partners is uh, First Kiss Women's Services that counsels women and men who uh, found themselves... Uh, in a pregnancy and thinking about, they're thinking about possibly ending that pregnancy. And, and so I want to encourage you to stop by, uh, the table outside, get information about First Coast Women's Services and get to know them a little better, what they do. But here's a, here's a way you can uh, right now be a part of saving lives. And that's praying for the counselors, the counselors who are counseling men and women that are coming to the First Coast Women's Services and thinking about ending the pregnancy that they have. And taking the life of that child. You, you can pray for that family. You can pray for that mother, uh, that dad, and also the counselors. And if you'll just sign up, you see the text line on the screen. If you'll sign up for that, you'll get text and be able to pray specifically when there are critical times to pray. And I want you to be able to do that. Well, today we're going to be in the book of uh, Revelation. And Grant read chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and find your place there. Revelation chapter 13. And I'm going to... Um, launch into this about the Antichrist. It is, um, it is a very descriptive text. It is uh, a helpful text because what it does, it, it, it unmasks the devil. Um, the devil loves walking and lurking in secrecy and mystery and, uh, in fact, uses that power to entice sometimes the mystery and secrecy. People love secrets, love mysteries, but God has given us his word and has removed the mask from this enemy, Satan. And so I want us to have uh, our eyes open to who Satan is and what the Antichrist will do. Very important that we do that this morning. And so before we do that, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. So would you pray and would you ask God to help uh, you to see what God would have you to see from his word? Father, thank you for this morning time in, in worship and in praise. Thank you for our time that we get to study your word. Bless it, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes John does this in the book of Revelation. So if you're just uh, joining us uh, in our study of Revelation and uh, you're like, okay, we're in chapter 13. I missed a lot. You have, but 13 is a good place to jump in. And, and the reason it's kind of a new section of Revelation and it moves into some things that are coming in the future days, in the future days, in our future, as a matter of fact. Revelation is, uh, is an amazing book. It's not, it's not impossible to understand. It's not, it's not as daunting as it might first seem. And maybe someone's told you that you can't understand it. But I think if we just approach it 
as we should all other parts of the Bible, that is, let's read it, let's interpret it, and then let's understand it by God's Holy Spirit, we, we'll, have, we'll have help. And so when you come to chapter 13, you're into a, another section, and I'm pretty fired up about where we're headed in Revelation. But this morning, this morning is just really just descriptive information about the Antichrist. So if you came this morning and you're like, okay, uh, man, I'm glad I'm in church. I need 15 steps to, to a better life this week. I'm going to apologize in advance. That ain't going to happen. But I'll tell you what will happen. If God's word never returns void, and we're just going to study it and look at what it has to say about this enemy. Look with me, if you will, in chapter 12, uh, verse 17 first, 12 and 17. And the reason I want to do that is because in Revelation, this is helpful to understand, sometimes John is looking ahead, like he's got the binoculars out there and God's giving him some revelation and tells us what's coming. Sometimes he's looking back. Sometimes he's looking back. And it's helpful to understand that, yeah, Revelation in some places is chronological in other places not so much. So John, sometimes he looks back, he looks ahead, sometimes he does both at the same time. That's really helpful. Chapter 12, verse 17 is uh, really part of this chapter 13 section. You know, when you had letters written in the uh, New Testament and Old Testament as well, um, there weren't chapters. Those are for our help. And so I think 17, uh, chapter 12, verse 17 helps us to kind of enter into chapter 13. It says this, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring and and those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the the sand of the sea. Now the he is John. John's on the sand of the sea. Because you can picture this. John's looking out in the sea and he's got this revelation. And it's as if he's on the beach, he's looking at the sea and he's going to see something that's going to help us today to understand the way in which Satan works and the way in which the Antichrist will work at the end. Verse 17 tells us that this dragon became furious with a woman. So who's the dragon? If you were with us just before Christmas, it was just perfect timing, because in chapter 12, John talks about a woman who gives birth. A woman who gives birth, and the birth is to the Messiah, to the Messiah, that's Jesus Christ. Now the woman here is not Mary, not Mary. The the woman instead is, in fact, uh, Israel. God had given precious promises to Israel. One of the promises to Israel is that through the seed of Abraham and Israel, the whole world would be blessed. And how would that happen? Because Jesus Christ would be born. And when Jesus was born, immediately, immediately, if you remember this, we were talking about the nativity scenes back at Christmas, the nativity scenes. You've probably put yours up, right? And you probably didn't have to wrap up. You wrapped up your angels and your shepherds and your, and your Joseph and Mary and but you probably didn't wrap up a, a dragon. But, but there was a dragon at the nativity scene. And, and that dragon is Satan. And he wants to consume the Messiah. He wants to destroy the Messiah. And then John uh, tells us that that didn't happen. Of course, we know that didn't happen. Uh, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. John tells us that. As if there was really uh, just kind of a fast forward of Jesus' life. He's born. Now he's on the right hand of the Father. But all of this to help us to understand that Satan's attempt to take Jesus out failed. And now Satan, now Satan, as in times past, has turned his attention towards God's people to take us out. And so that's very important to understand. This is some descriptive language here. We see that the dragon is Satan, the woman is Israel, and she has offspring. Her offspring was Jesus, but his offspring is, his offspring is everyone who is saved. 
How are uh, we sure we're saved? Well, we keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I think those two things are important to understand in tandem. One is, if you are saved, if you're truly saved, now you keep the commandments of God. That's just what you do. You don't keep the commandments of God to be saved, but because you are saved, you keep the commandments of God. Does that make sense? Say amen. So when you got saved, you didn't just say, oh, I'm going to go to heaven. I got some fire insurance. I can live any way I want to live. No. What happens is when you, you're saved, you're born again, you're a new creature, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, and you have now the power to live out the plan and purposes of God. You actually can keep the commandments of God. Before you were saved, the commandments just helped you to understand, man, you ain't never going to make it. You're never going to measure up. You're never going to be all that you need to be. And all of that's helpful because we needed to come to the conclusion, I can't keep what God wants me to keep. So I needed someone to keep it for me, and that's what Jesus did. When Jesus came, y'all, he kept every commandment. Like, he kept every commandment to the T. He never broke a law. He never, ever did anything wrong, and he always did what was right, and he did that in my place. So my, he's my substitute in life. I needed someone to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. As much as I love God, I can never love God with all my heart, mind, and soul, and strength like Jesus loved God. That's an amazing thought. Jesus, who is God in flesh, God incarnate, also loved for me in a way I can't love. He did everything for me. So my hope is in Jesus Christ. And if you are going to heaven, if you are truly saved, it is because you have put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, who did for you what you cannot do for yourself. You hear me say that? I'll probably say that till I die. And when I have my, you have my funeral, you can say, you know, I remember the pastor, he's always talking about Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And now that we're saved, we keep this commandment. So here what we see is that there is a war on people who are redeemed, and they are those who keep the testimony of Jesus Christ and his commandments. And then John looks at the sea. He looks at the sea. This is descriptive language of the saints of God. It is descriptive language of Satan. But notice John as he sits at the sea. This is an important matter. So let's go into chapter 13, okay? Chapter 13, verse 1, and John says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Now, sea here is introduced to us. It's a descriptive term as well. It's a descriptive term as well. The sea has the idea of mystery and disorganization. And here John is at the edge of the, uh, of the sea, and he's looking into a bunch of chaos. And out of chaos, out of chaos, a beast arises. Okay, that's the idea. Now, we know that this beast is going to be a political leader, and political leaders don't just come from nowhere. Uh, just recently, Xi Jinping in China uh, assumed his third, uh, third, third term in office, controlling the Communist Party there. He didn't just come out of nowhere. If you know his story, the Communist Party actually attacked his family, killed his father, and through all of that, he made his way into now what is a, a nation full of, 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 of hurt and need. And his one role uh, is to is try to meet all the need of the people. But he arose out of that, out of that chaos of, 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 of communist China. Um, Hitler. You know when Hitler came to power, how would anybody follow that guy? How would they follow Hitler and his power? Well, remember there was a vacuum of leadership in Germany. There was a, destitute, a destitution in Germany. People starving to death needed someone to come and save them. And Hitler rose on the scene and said, I'll be the savior. And people followed him. In the same way, this is what John sees. He sees a world. Are you, are you watching this? He sees a world in chaos and in need of help. And out of that chaos, out of that chaos, Satan says, I got an answer. 
And he, he, he raises up his own, his, his own leader, his own Superman. We know him as the Antichrist or the beast. Now, when we talk about Antichrist, all right, you've heard of Antichrist and you know that the Bible talks about the fact there's going to be an Antichrist in the end. Have you been, um, been thinking about what that means, Antichrist? I want, I want to give you an idea here that, that, that will help you to understand Antichrist. Antichrist does not only mean against Christ. Okay, that's kind of what you may think. Well, he's, he's one that is fighting against Christ. That's true, but he's one coming instead of Christ. Anti meaning instead of. So Satan, Satan wants, he wants to be worshipped. He want, the singing we did today, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, makes Satan so mad. Because he wants to be sang to. He wants to be praised. He wants to be worshipped. So what does Satan do? Um, Satan de- devises a plan to come instead of Christ so people follow instead of Jesus, him. He does it by raising an antichrist. Antichrist means several things, and I want to kind of walk, this, walk you through this. Um, Dan Aiken, Daniel Aiken, in his commentary on Revelation, I think was very helpful in understanding the idea of antichrist. Number one, antichrist can be an empire or political power, like we're going to see in Revelation 13. We're going to later see in Revelation 17. So there is actually an antichrist or an evil empire or power. Secondly, secondly, Sometimes in the Bible, Antichrist speaks of a spirit of the age. For instance, 1 John 4, 3, John talks about that. It is a, it is a spirit or a philosophy that comes instead of truth, instead of Jesus. Um, John also said, thirdly, there are forerunners to the final Antichrist. They're real people. They are little Antichrist, little Antichrist. There have been lots of little Antichrist over the years, and there will be continually. John said... 1 John 2.18, Antichrist have already gone out. But fourthly, there will be a final, no, this is very important, there will, there will be a final and climatic embodiment of satanic power and opposition to God. And that will be through a human being. There will be one final Antichrist. And I think by understanding and unmasking him, uh, we'll understand some truths. So I want to give you three of them. The first one is this. By understanding who the Antichrist is and Satan's work, we'll see how the devil uses parody. How the devil uses parody. I mentioned the anti means against Christ instead of Christ. But I want us to think about the Antichrist not so much in who he is, in who he is, but how he works. When I was growing up in the 80s, we had a lot of prophecy conferences. Uh, I remember being a kid and, and in the 90s going to those types of conferences where they talked about who the Antichrist might be. There were all types of movies and books and on and on it went. And man, there have been lots of speculations as to who the Antichrist is. I, I don't want us to do that. Uh, the Antichrist might be alive today, may well be alive, but if he is, chances are probably is what I believe we as Christians will never know who he is. We'll be raptured out of here before he's revealed. Now, I'll get to that in just a moment, but you might say, well, if we're going to be raptured out of here, why do we care? Here's why we care. Here's why we care. We, we care because the way the Antichrist will work in the future is the way the devil is working in the present. So by understanding how the uh, Antichrist works in the future... I'm better, um, I'm, I'm better able then to understand the wiles and strategies of the devil now. 
So we don't necessarily want to d- delve into who he is, but how, how he works. And, and he, does, he does something I think that you need to see too. He does everything he can to try to imitate God. God, has a, a whole, God is a trinity. God is a trinity. I start to say he has a trinity. God is a trinity. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? Three in one. Satan has an unholy trinity, and that's the dragon, the antichrist, and the false prophet. And Christ is the creator. Satan is not the creator. He just imitates everything that Christ does. That's the key here. He is, uh, he's a pirate. He pirates everything that, God, that is God's. He's a, he, he is a classic plagiarist. And what he does is he just takes what is God's and twists it and makes it his. That's parody. Including, and you're going to see this, um, this, this incarnation of the, of the Antichrist. Jesus came. Jesus came from heaven to earth, born of woman. We read about that in chapter 12 of Revelation. In chapter 12, in chapter 13, we see Satan's, Satan's incarnation, his Messiah, his false Messiah, coming up out of the sea. Why? What else do we see about him? Well, he has blasphemous names. Look at the text. He has blasphemous names. What does that mean? Well, he hates God. He's full of pride and he wants to be praised. Verse 2, we see his person. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear's and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. This is a descriptive of the fact that he is ferocious, prideful, strong, and quickly comes on people. One of the things that we, we know about this uh, Antichrist is that he will come against God's people in an unprecedented way. Now, we're going to see this, we're going to see this when we get to Revelation 17, but there are seven major empires that we learn about in the Old Testament, and we're going to see again in Revelation 17, that have come against God's people. There, there's seven major empires. There's been more than seven major empires in the world, we know that, but seven major empires that Daniel and Daniel chapter 7 identify as empires that actually come out against God's people. What you need to know about the, the, the seven empires is that there will be one final empire to come that's going to be ruled by this Antichrist, and that empire is made up of ten nations. We see that with ten diadems in verse 1. Ten nations, ten kings, ten kingdoms, led by one ultimate leader, the Antichrist, all for the purpose to come against God's people. All Satan's empires have have come against God's people, whether it was Egypt or Babylon or Assyria or Medo-Persia or Rome. This final one is going to come against God's people in an unprecedented way. What a contrast to God is Satan, by the way, and the Antichrist. What a contrast. The dragon's coming to shed the blood of men. Jesus came to shed his blood for us. The enemy is coming to destroy and to devour. Jesus comes to give us life more abundantly. Satan wants to wreck families and wreck lives. Just look around you, and the remnants of Satan's work are all around. But what does God do? He picks up the pieces, and he puts us back together. He takes what is broken and ruined and seemingly unrepairable, and by his grace, gives us a new testimony. He wants to keep people from following God and following Christ, and he has great power to do that. Look in verse 2 at the end. And to it, the dragon, the dragon again is Satan, to it, the beast, that is the Antichrist, Satan gives power and his throne and great authority. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians, the coming of the lawless one, that's another word or another phrase, I should say, for the Antichrist, lawless one, is by activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. 
In other words, this dragon is going to give such power to the Antichrist that he's going to do all types of signs and wonders that people are going to be amazed and they're going to want to follow him because they're going to think he's from God. He's going to do some things that cause people just to be in awe. But he will do so empowered by Satan. The Antichrist will do so empowered by Satan. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2.7, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. If, it, if you looked around and you were thinking like, man, sin's just out of control. Sin is out of control. It's rampant in our world. You would be right. But what Paul says, there's coming a day when there will be unrestrained sin and evil like never before. I mean, I was just looking at some headlines just, just this weekend. Uh, just this weekend. Think about what's going on in our world. State lawmakers propose power grid protection after attacks. We have to uh, protect our power grid from evil people. Los Angeles mass shooting suspect kills 10 near Lunar New Year Festival. Abortion at crossroads after midterm with focus on states. 80% of China's population affected by COVID-19. A 76-year-old woman shot and killed her terminally ill husband at a Florida hospital, police say. I mean, I could go on and on. Kamala Harris, to remark to mark Roe v. Wade's anniversary in Florida today by urging greater abortion access. I could go on and on, right? But I would depress you. This is why it's really bad to watch the news all the time. Because uh, it's not really news, it's just bad news, isn't it? Bad news. But, but if you think Satan is, in, um, is running rampant right now, and sin is as well, wait until the last of time before Jesus returns. Because right now, God's Holy Spirit is restraining evil in this world. If God's Holy Spirit wasn't restraining evil in this world, we would all be in a world of hurt. But here we learn that that, that power is going to be unrestrained for Satan in the end. Verse 3 tells us he has, a during that time, an incredible attraction. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. The whole world is going to follow this beast. Imagine that. And part of the reason is that he parodies Christ. I mean, he comes up at a time where there is a need for help. He's going to help. There's, going to, there's chaos in the world, this organization. He's going to bring a false peace. And then he's going to be wounded to death. But after being wounded to death, rise again. Now, who is that like? Not only is it like Jesus, let me prove to you that this is a parody of Christ. The Bible says that he is wounded. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible tells us that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was slaughtered. Why? He was a lamb that was slaughtered. The word here for wound, this mortal wound, could literally be translated slaughtered. It is the same word used for slaughtered in Revelation 6. In other words, this this Antichrist was slaughtered. Not only that, we learn in Revelation 13 and 14, and by the signs that it allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So this, this, this beast is going to be wounded by a sword, it's going to die, 
can be slaughtered. But the word lived in Revelation 13, 14, the word lived in Revelation 13, 14, is the same word that's translated for resurrection in Revelation 2, 8, that Jesus is the one who was dead and is alive again or raised again. In other words, this is going to be a, 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 symbolically a resurrection and the Antichrist is going to then bring a strong delusion on the world that they're going to want to follow him and worship him. Verse 4, and they worship the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? They're amazed the world is by this beast, by this Antichrist. They, they come to a false conclusion. And what is that? They see that he is supernatural and he has power. And he has supernatural power, and therefore they conclude, since he has supernatural power, he must be of God. It's just amazing. Secondly, saints must understand the devil's plan here. Verse 5, here's the devil's plan. And the beast was given a mouth. The beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies before God, verse 6 blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. I think the key's here. Notice verse, uh, verse 5 tells us that he's going to do this for 42 months. That's blaspheme, the name of God. 42 months. We've seen that number before in the book of Revelation. It's three and a half years. This is the time of the very end of history. The last three and a half years before Jesus Christ comes back. He blasphemes God because he hates God, and so he attacks the very character of God. And notice this, he doesn't just attack God, he attacks those who dwell in heaven. Now, very important, before we move on, there are people in Revelation who dwell on earth, and there are people who dwell in heaven. What is the distinction? Well, you might, be tem- you might be tempted to think, well, the people who dwell in heaven are people that are dead and gone on, right? No, that's not what Revelation has in mind when it talks about heaven dwellers. Heaven dwellers are those who belong to the Lord. They hold to the testimony of the Lord, and they keep the commandments of God. They're the saved. <clears throat> They're the believers. They're heavenly-minded. They're heavenly-thinking. They are, they are described in Revelation as heaven dwellers, two types of people. Heaven dwellers and earth dwellers. Earth dwellers are the opposite. They set their minds on things below. They set their mind on this earth right now. What's in front of me? What I want? What can I have? What is my flesh desire? And so here it is. We're told the plan of Satan is to attack God by ad hominem attacks. And what does that do to God? Nothing. But he also, Satan does this, attacks those who belong to God. Now, He's going to do this again to the point of putting people to death. And there'll be very few Christians at the very end of time in the great tribulation that survived because of all of the persecution and martyrdom. But I want us just for a moment to remember that Satan's plan then, Satan's plan to destroy God's people in the future is his desire and go now. He wants to destroy God's people. He wants to come against us. He wants to come against us in a ferocious way. He wants to destroy, he cannot destroy our soul, but to destroy our testimony and to destroy our lives if possible. 
So that leads me to the third and last point. Saints must have endurance through the devil's persecution. We have to have endurance and faith through the devil's persecution. Look with me in verse 7. Um, we see the dragon's motive here. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. In the end, in the end, God is the one who makes the allowance. God allows the dragon and the Antichrist actually to attack the saints. Verse 7, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Power of flesh. Satan's going to have power over flesh. The Antichrist is going to come against God's people and going, he's going to Kill them with the sword. But he cannot take their soul. And that's the point. Verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth and worship it, everyone whose name was, has, has not been written before the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, if anyone has ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. In other words, here's what God wants us to know. That even though Satan comes against the believers at the end of time, they are secure. They are secure. And Satan cannot destroy their souls. Because of their faith in Jesus Christ, they have endurance to be able to even walk through martyrdom. You know, it's not... Something that you want to come to on a Sunday morning to think about the fact that there are going to be lots of people that are being killed because they name the name of Christ. But it's coming. And there's already people in our world today that are facing that on a regular basis. The difficulty of being a Christian in some nations is, un, is unreal. There are Christians that are incarcerated for their faith and some that are being martyred for their faith. But here's what we know. We're secure. And Satan can take our body, but he cannot take our soul. In fact, Jesus told the disciples just that. Don't fear those who can kill the body, but have no power over the soul. If you have been saved, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and you are secure. John MacArthur said, seven times in the New Testament, believers are identified as those whose names are written in the book of life. The book of life belongs to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is the registry in which the inscribed names of those who are chosen for salvation before the foundation of the world. And unlike unbelievers, the elect will not be deceived by Antichrist, nor will they worship him. You don't ever have to worry or be concerned that if you're saved, that you might take the mark of the beast. You will not become a worshiper of the Antichrist. You are protected and you are secure. You are, you are held forever by your Lord. But that doesn't mean we're not going to go through difficulty. And it doesn't mean we're not going to go through persecution. And then we don't go through the great tribulation doesn't mean we're not going to go through tribulation. It doesn't mean sometimes we're going to face some real challenges in this life. And there's some of you that need to recognize this, that, that Satan's going to work in a certain way through the Antichrist in the future, but he's working in a way now. He wants to come against your testimony. He wants to ca- cause you to be quiet, to shut up, to sit down, and don't speak up for Christ. He wants to do everything he can to just put you in the corner and cause you to just be a wallflower. But don't, don't, don't for a moment, don't for a moment allow the enemy to have his way. To God be the glory for our life, to God be the glory for our testimony, and to God be the glory for our salvation. That we are called to stand up and speak out for the Lord Jesus Christ. To be audiovisual Christians who live out his commandments so that people see Christ in our lives and speak the testimony of Jesus Christ.
Well, let me give you a couple of points of application here. Number one application is this. Um, objective truth must always have primacy over experience. Whenever it is that the Antichrist comes on the scene, in the very end of time, people are going to be amazed by him. They're going to watch what he does. They're going to see how he acts, and they're going to think he's of God. Why? Because he does supernatural acts. Be careful. Be careful. Even as a believer, though we cannot be destroyed, we can sometimes be deceived. And one of the ways in which the devil would love to deceive us today is to cause us to weigh or or lean on our experiences, our subjective ideas, rather than objective truth. What do I mean by that? I mean, the devil loves us to get off on tangents, to follow mysteries and secrets and codes, and on and on it goes, instead of just trusting the revealed Word of God. Every single day, then, I need, I need, I have to because uh, of the devil's work. He is constantly coming against me. So then, I better take up the, the objective truth of God's word, which is the Bible. If you have a Bible, hold it up. This is God's word, and it supersedes anybody's testimony. It supersedes any preacher's sermon. It supersedes any book or TED Talk you listen to or YouTube video that you watch. It supersedes any podcast that maybe is about life. You watch most self-help books, self-help podcasts are really satanic in nature. They don't find themselves in, uh, rooted in objective truth, but in what works. You say, why in the world would anybody follow after Satan and the Antichrist? Aren't they going to know? Aren't they going to know? Watch this, y'all. Watch this. Why would Satan, knowing he is a defeated foe, knowing he has hell in his future, why would he continue to do what he's going to do? He can't help it. It's his nature. He hates God. He lusts for power. And he does everything he can because of that lust to destroy the people of God. And he can't help it. He cannot help it. I mean, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been tempted to to do something and you thought, no, I don't want to do that, but the temptation overwhelmed you and you gave in to temptation? Has anyone ever given in to temptation? And you're like, why did I eat two pieces of pie? This is why Satan's going to do what he does. He can't help it. You've probably heard the story of the frog and the scorpion. At the edge of a pond, the scorpion said, hey, man, I need to lift across the pond. The frog says, no, I can't do that. You'll sting me and we'll both die. The scorpion said, I promise you, I promise you, if you'll get me across, I will not sting you. The frog believed the scorpion. The scorpion climbed on the frog's back. The frog began to do his uh, little breaststroke across the pond. And there was uh, the scorpion on top of the frog. They got almost to the uh, next edge of the pond when the scorpion stung the frog. And was a strong, the frog is drowning. He looks up and he says to the scorpion, who's also drowning, why did you sting me? And the scorpion said, I couldn't help it. It's just my nature. Satan's nature is to deceive and to destroy, and he just can't help it. So we, then we better pay attention, because we are in a spiritual war every single day. And he will do everything he can, even to try to deceive the elect. He will do what he can to deceive us with things that work, things that seem to be normal and mainstream. That's why we are 
called, I believe, the people of the book. Because this book, this objective truth, has to supersede any of our subjective experiences. Secondly, and then really the last thing here in the end, is this. Just because something works doesn't mean it's good. Just because something works does not mean that it's good. And I want to encourage you as a believer to take God's word and filter every piece of information that you have coming in through this book. I mean, we are constantly bombarded with information. I'm absolutely amazed at how much information we have accessible to us. I mean, we have no lack of knowledge given devices, the internet, and so many tools. But what we need is a filter be able to interpret what's coming into our minds. And the scriptures are that for us. The scriptures are that for us. It helps make sense of things. It helps to point out those things which aren't really good, that just seem to be good, and points out what is true and right and virtuous. We need the Word of God. This is why, just very simply, we have to be discerning. Satan is out to deceive and to destroy, so we have to be discerning. This is why every single day, y'all, every single day, we need the Word of God. We have to read it. Did anybody make a decision to read through the Bible in 2023? All right, it's, it's January 22nd. How you doing? You're like the Jaguars. Well, maybe next year. No, don't do that. Um, every day, read the Bible. Every day, grab the Word of God and read it. Every day. You say, I, I, I've never read the Bible. Where, where do I start? Let me encourage you this. If you've never read the Bible, let me encourage you to do this. Just go to the book of Matthew in the New Testament and read through the New Testament. Start there. If you've never read through the Bible, read through the New Testament. But read it. Why do I need to read the Bible? Because this is the mind of Christ. And this is the mind of Christ that will enable us to, to really sift through what is real and what is not. What is true and what is false. To read it to learn as I begin reading it, to interpret it, and to interpret, interpret it properly. So if I'm going to interpret it properly, I need help. I need help. I'm not an island. I shouldn't take the Bible and take it on my own and try to figure it out without help. Peter said the scriptures of, are of no private interpretation. In other words, you know what he meant? He meant the Bible doesn't mean one thing for you and another thing for the person next to you and another thing for the person next to them. The Bible means the same thing for all people, for all times. And so our work is not only to read it, but to understand what it says and interpret it properly so that it begins to work on us. So that it begins to work on us and begins to work on us to, to correct our wrong thinking and to correct and sanctify our mind so that our lives, our lives then, are fall in line with God's will. Here, here's what we know. Um, in the end, the, the Antichrist is going to be he is going to be Satan on steroids, and he is going to be attacking, attacking, attacking. But all that, I just want you to remember, shows us how Satan's working even right now. Now, he works in a restrained way, but still works that way. And because he does, we, we need, we have to have the Word of God to, to direct our lives. I just want you to be committed to that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity we've had just to look at this text and to think about, Lord, what it means to, to have some discernment in this world, knowing that we're uh, not just walking through this, uh, this world um, 
without attack, that, that every day we get up, whether we know it or not, whether we recognize it or not, the enemy is on the attack. He's constantly bombarding us. We need your help. Thank you for your spirit that lives inside of us for the security that our name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. And he cannot take our soul. He cannot take our salvation. But Lord, also remind us how important it is every day that we give our mind over to you and trust you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?